Well, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 3. If you have a Bible, if you have a tablet, a phone, whatever it may be, uh, you brought your scrolls from home, uh, whatever it may be, uh, you can turn there. And, uh, and so Mark chapter 3, this passage of Scripture, Jesus is attempting to have a meal. Uh, if you notice reading Scripture, how often Jesus is eating with people, there's something to that. We talked about that last week when it comes to communion, is that there's intention with the meal, and Jesus knew the connection that happens over food. And so that's something for us to remember. And so here he is having a meal. Now, the house gets crowded because a lot of people want to come and hear Jesus. Outside of the house, Jesus' mother and brothers are coming, and they're coming, uh, I think, to take him out or to, to, to question him because they're really concerned about his mental state. And the teachers also are of the law are considering what's going on with him. Is, is it something uh, demonic, they're wondering? And so there's all these questions going on. And this is what happens. Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus asked this. Who are my mother and my brothers? In your opinion, did he help his case? No. <clears throat> Jesus asked this question, and the people are going like, Mary's your mother, and James and Jude, and Joseph and Simon. They're, they're your brothers. They're outside. You've grown up with them. You should know your family. And Jesus continues, Verse 34, it says, he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And the people are like, hmm, okay. This statement by Jesus, you may have read many times, and you may not have had a second thought about it, especially if you grew up in a church and especially if you grew up in a traditional church where you walked around being like, brother, sister, hey there, brother, you know, the, the good old greetings from the traditional Christians. But what Jesus was saying here was a dividing line and a defining line. What he was saying was extremely controversial, and it was also very powerful. Because what Jesus was doing was saying family is much more than blood. When it comes to following him, knowing the Father God, that brothers and sisters are not just blood-related. In fact, the Greek word that's used here is adelphoi. And this is used well over 300 times throughout the New Testament, which means family. And so what Jesus was doing is he was taking blood family, his mother and his brothers, and saying, hey, you know what? Anyone who's following my Father God, their family. This is a radical statement for Jesus to make. And Paul carried this teaching forward when he spoke about how we're adopted into the family of God. Ephesians 1.5 says this, he, God, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And so Paul teaches that, hey, we're, we're sons and daughters of God because of Jesus. We are God's beloved family. Gary Brashears, he said it this way. He said, God is a family Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who makes family. That God is in the business of making family. 
He's looking for more and more family. Paul continued to teach in Romans chapter 12. He said this, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. So Paul's saying, hey, there's a lot of us that are brothers and sisters in Christ. But we form one body and we all belong to each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, it is even more explicit that we are literally connected to one another. Last week, we explored, if you were here, we sat around tables, and we talked about communion. And we talked about community being essential for communion and communion being essential for community. Is that you can't have one without the other. Because what Jesus intended for communion and community is presence with God and presence with one another and it is, it is also the participation with God and participation with others. But we so often have made communion just about me and Jesus. Just me and God. That's all it is. I'm going to get my, my stale bread and my juice, and I'm just going to sit, and I'm going to pray, and it's just me. I'm, I'm here. But really, it's intended to be around a table with other people. And that our heart's cry when it comes to communion isn't a complaint about anything else. It's about this cry for participation and the presence that we find there. Teaching continues in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, about being together. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, as all, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When the author of Hebrews wrote this, he was not thinking of the modern American church where the average committed American Christian goes to church 1.5 times per month. That's it. This number has continued to decline over the last number of years. The authors are thinking of biblical community. And I love in our church name, not that we have this perfect by any means, we're, we're far from it with much room to improve, is we obviously have the name church but we have the name Bible. And hopefully you hear the Bible all the time here and that we point to the Bible again and again and again. But the first part of our name is family. And again, we don't do this perfectly by any means, but we strive to be family. We strive to know one another, to connect with one another. We encourage you to connect with one another. And that's something that we continue to move toward and want and desire. But it takes all of us, every single one of us. And in Acts, there's this picture of the early church. In Acts 2, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We look at that last line and we're like, yeah, yeah daily salvation, people coming in. But we look at some of this other verse and talk about they were together every single day. They were sharing everything. This is a commitment that they saw in the early church. Author and pastor Francis Chen, he wrote a book called Letters to the Church. And he really challenged the church to think about how we in the West, the United States and Europe, how do we see church? And he wrote these words. He said, we live in a time when people go to a building on Sunday mornings, attend an hour-long service, and call themselves members of the church. Does that sound shocking to you? 
No, of course not. This is perfectly normal. It's what we grew up with. We all know good Christians go to church. But have you ever read the New Testament? Do you find anything in Scripture that's even remotely close to the pattern we have created? Do you find anyone who quote-unquote went to church? Try to imagine Paul and Peter speaking like we do today. Hey, Peter, where do you go to church now? I go to the river. They have great music, and I love the kids' program. Cool. Can I come check out your church next Sunday? I'm not getting much out of mine. Totally. I'm not going to be there next Sunday because little Matthew has soccer, but how about a week after, the week after? Sounds good. Hey, do they have a singles group? See, the church, we read this and we hear these words, and we just would be shocked to see that language in Scripture. But this is the world we live in because I hear these conversations all the time. The church we see in Scripture is about brothers and sisters and family and being together and having things in common and regularly and intentionally building into each other. This is a biblical church. And intellectually, we go, yep, yep, it's what we read. It's what we believe. But our praxis, the way we practice it, the way we live it out is very different. And this is why. We have been shaped more by Western culture than by Jesus when it comes to how we church. I'm going to use that as a verb, how we church. See, reading these passages should cause tension within us. Because we should look at Scripture and be like, that is great, wow, this is amazing. And then we're like, huh, daily salvations, nope. Together daily, nope. Everything in common. Nope. And we just go, well, just things are different. Times are different. And I would say, absolutely, times are different. But should we just accept this? Or is there something we can learn or a step we can take into this new year as we strive to have the mindset of Christ? So first, let's start with anthropology. Well, rule number 108 of how to lose a crowd is to say a sentence like, first, let's start with anthropology. Some of you have already checked out, right? Stay with me just for a few minutes, and hopefully this will connect. Hopefully there's something here that's relevant. So anthropologists study human behavior. And anthropologists have classified and grouped people in many different ways to study them. One particular way is, is by society or group. Now, they've classified two different types of groups. One being a strong group society, and one being a weak group society. Now, I'm going to give you a head start on this. One of these two would be the Western society, say the United States and Europe. Um, the second one that's somewhere in here would be Jesus's culture, okay? So by a show of hands, the United States and Europe would be considered a strong group society. Show of hands. So a couple that are timid, the United States would be a weak group society. More hands. Okay. All right. Let me read something and see if you affirm your thoughts or you, you're, you went a different way. Professor Bruce Molina from Creighton, he, he said this. In a strong group society, the person perceives himself. So again, the strong group society. The person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a group 
and responsible to the group for his or her actions, destiny, career, development, and life in general. Correspondingly, he or she perceives other persons primarily in terms of the group to which they belong. The individual person is embedded in the group and free to do what he or she feels is right and necessary only if in accord with group norms and only if the action is in the group's best interest. The group has priority over the individual member. Every single society, just about every single society throughout the history of time in the world today, except for the United States and Europe, the modern West, are strong group societies. The United States, our Western society, is considered a weak group society. So the majority of you were correct with this. Let's look at a chart, and this will flesh it out just a little bit more. Again, stay with me. Stay with me. So strong group society. This is more of Jesus's um, society, um, Asian culture, African culture, uh, Middle Eastern culture, is there's a high communal focus, common set of habits, norms, expectations, traditions, symbols, values, techniques that influence behavior. There's a shared purpose and harmony. You get along based on conforming to common norms. There's a common purpose and value. Conformity is a high value, and the good of others is first versus the individual. So then a weak group society, which United States, Europe, is an individual focus. This is the rugged individual that we value in our country. I did it on my own. I built this. I created this. The individualistic, where norms, symbols, and traditions have little impact on personal behavior. So there may be some of these in society, but whether I align my life to it or not is up to me. Um, collection of individuals with their own beliefs and practices. So this is the classic, you have your truth, I have my truth reality. Um, no sense of common purpose or value. So we're all just existing, doing our thing, trying to create our own realities. Uh, and then nonconformity is high value. And then good for me first. So this flushes it out just a little bit. And we're doing a very shallow dive into this here today. But as Americans who have existed in this, when we think of a strong group society, it almost feels oppressive. Or it may feel wrong because our own like autonomy and individual, whatever it may be, seems to be oppressed here. And so we look at that and we reject that because we've known this. Now today, I am not advocating that we switch to another. I am not advocating that one is better than the other. But what I am telling you, and that we need to understand when we read scripture and when we walk through it, is that Jesus and the authors of scripture had this background right here. This is where their minds were. This is what they were thinking. They were not writing nor thinking of the individual. So scripture is written with the community in mind. There's a communal value there. Joseph Hellerman, he wrote a book called When the Church Was a Family. He said this, social scientists have a label for the pervasive cultural orientation of modern American society. That makes it so difficult for us to stay connected and grow together in a community with one another. They call it radical individualism. What this amounts to is simple enough. We in America have been socialized to believe that our own dreams, goals, and personal fulfillment ought to take precedent over the well-being of any group, our church or our family, for example, to which we belong. The immediate needs of the individual are more important than the long-term health of the group. 
So we leave and withdraw rather than stay and grow up when the going gets rough in the church or the home. This is because, again, we have been, we have been formed thinking of my own rights and goods. If they're stepped on, I need to get out instead of working through. For example, I think of myself first as Chris Tarkowitz, an individual. And then if I start to like progress out, I think of like, well, I'm a child of God. So that's still my individualistic relationship with God. And then after that, then I start to connect myself to the community around me. I'm married to Joanna. I am dad of Aubrey and Evan. I am son of Tom and Kathy. I am a member of FBC of the church here. I am part of a rooted community with three other couples. So what I did is I started myself as a, an example of the way I think of within a weak group society. And you're looking at me going like, yeah, and that's exactly right. See, I'm not here to change this, but we need to know that Jesus taught to a different society with a different mindset. And so when we read scripture, when we talk about family or community, these are just norms that they don't have to explain. I can sense it in here, way more than first group, a level of uncomfortableness. And you may be going like, is this a cult? Is this a cult? Is this one of these churches that I've been warned about? Hmm. Well, can, can I make you a little bit more uncomfortable? A little bit more? Maybe. There's at least one head nod, so I'm just going to go with the one head nod. Let's go back to what Bruce Molina said. The quote, the professor talking about a strong group society. And we can get really uncomfortable, but I want you to see this within the lens of Scripture, okay? So let's go back. And what I want to do is take his quote that we read earlier, and instead of using the word group, let's insert the word church, okay? This is what he would say. In a strong church society, the person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a church and responsible to the church for his or her actions, destiny, career, development, and life in general. Correspondingly, he or she perceives other persons primarily in terms of the church to which they belong. The individual person is embedded in the church and is free to do what he or she feels is right and necessary only if in accord with the church's norms and only if the action is in the church's best interest. The church has priority over the individual member. And right now you're going like, yep, this is a cult. Chris has gone crazy. The last two years have impacted him in ways we had no idea until now. This is a cult. Well, let me tell you, this is not a cult, unless telling you it's not a cult makes it a cult, and then we somehow have to dig out of this hole. But just stay with me for a moment here. If you're uncomfortable with what has just been presented, me too. I am with you. As I wrestled through this this week, as I studied group and society and studied what Jesus said about community and what Jesus was saying about mothers and brothers and sisters and, and understanding the biblical text, I was super uncomfortable. Because what I want is I want my own personal Jesus. I want my own salvation, just me and Jesus. You and Jesus, you're good. Just pray a little bit. Show up every once in a while. Be nice serve when I can, and, and just to go on. But the reality is, is that if we desire to have the mind of Christ and the mindset of Christ towards others, we need to understand what Scripture says. 
Because this is not me forming something. And for my good, or even for family Bible's good, it's rather being refined and following what Jesus has to say and, and his heart for us, orientating ourselves around Jesus and his kingdom, which is radically different than what we just settle for. And it makes me uncomfortable, just like it makes you uncomfortable. So just briefly here at the end, where do we start? Like how in the world, as a Westerner who's been framed in this, and like what do we even do with this? Because you know what? We're not building a giant like house in the back and we're not all moving in. That's not happening. Um, no way. But we need to take a baby step. We, we need to, to do something to move toward each other and toward Jesus at the same time. So three things. As family, let's be together. Let's be together. This does not mean the entire church. This does not mean we need to have a giant picnic or a giant dinner and, and just be together. That's not the point. Is there's something like 230 some odd households represented of consistent people here who have identified themselves and are consistently here. If there's 2.5 people in each household, that's somewhere around 600 people who call this church home. There is no way you are going to know everyone and be together with everyone, especially in a time like this. There, there's no way. Once a church gets over 100 people, you will not know everyone. And you've struggled with that. Some of you grew this church along the way and you felt that pain when it got over 100 people and you stopped knowing everyone. Some of you came from smaller churches and you're like, who are all these people? The reality is, is you will not know everyone, so stop trying to know everyone and get to know someone. Move yourself toward people in smaller environments. Be together, not just here, but outside of here. We live life together. There's about a hundred one another's in scripture. We need to one another as a church. Can you, Johnny, can you put up that next screen, please? Some examples of one another are build up one another, welcome one another, encourage one another, live in peace with one another, show hospitality to one another, love one another, teach one another, honor one another, pray on, so on and so forth. There's a hundred of these in scripture. And we somehow believe that we're building community and family by sitting here crossing each other in the hallway and being like, hey, you have a nice sweater on today. I built someone up. Or welcoming someone. This is, this is not the depth of community that Jesus intended, nor will we ever get to the point that we desire if that's what we're settling for. We want another someone, not in the hallways where it's easy, but when they sit on your couch and they're eating strawberry jello and they spill it for the second time in the evening. You gotta build them up. Welcome them back after they clean your couch. Encourage them. When you get close to people, it gets messy. It gets hard because you're messy too. Love in 1 John 4 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. We gotta love one another. So you need to move toward people. I don't know what that looks like exactly for you, but that may be some sort of just consistent connection throughout the week at a coffee shop or over breakfast with someone, the follower of Jesus. Maybe that's some sort of prayer group or Bible study. 
Maybe for you, it's a rooted group. A number of you are jumping into rooted groups that have not been in groups for a long time or ever. You move toward each other to be together, to know each other. If you're not in a rooted group and you're interested, four o'clock here tonight. Nick will give you more information shortly. So first is family, be together. The second thing is to be realistic. Relationships are hard. People are difficult. You are difficult, not just other people. Like we have our stuff, right? And when we get close to one another, we share life with one another, our stuff comes out. That's the point. Ephesians 4 says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This is for each one of us, not just for that person that's bugging you. Be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with them. You make every effort to keep, not create, to keep the unity of the spirit. God started it. I love someone said this. They said, family is the place of deepest hurt and also the deepest healing. I love this. We have all been hurt by family. Some of the deepest hurts in our life have been from family. But it doesn't mean we run from other people or we run from family. If it's a toxic relationship, yes, you run from that. But you don't just run just because you've been hurt. Because family is a place of deepest healing. Remember what Jesus said? He said, you all, if Jesus was here, he'd be like, you all who do the will of God, you're my brothers and sisters. That family has come out of the blood family. Like your family. Yes, you will be hurt by one another. If you're in a rooted group or in a Bible study or something, someone will say something that will bug you. I promise you that. Don't run from it. It's also the place of deepest healing. So as family, be together be realistic. You're not perfect, and other people are not perfect. The third thing is have the mindset of Jesus. Philippians 2 says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I certainly hope your group, your family, your community will not send you to a cross. But the point is this. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. He laid his life down for others. And so when we come toward others, is it my own selfish desire or the good of others? Is it what I can get or what I can give? Is it about me or is it about the other? So as we've seen, biblical community in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament is every day, it's together, it's all things in common, but we just need a baby step. Let's take a baby step. So consider these three questions. Do you have a biblical family or community? Or are you on your own? I have every excuse in the book 
don't have time. I want to spend time with my kids, with my wife. I've got you know the job responsibilities. I'm an introvert, and people make me tired. Uh, I just don't want to. Whatever it may be, I've got the excuses. So do you. But do you have this? Because I know that I need community as much as I may push against. I know I need that to be refined and to grow and to share. Are you willing to move into a community? Two. Are you realistic with your expectations of what a biblical family or community can be? Are your expectations of others so great that it's crushing relationships around you? Have you put undue pressure on others that they can't live up to? How can you extend grace and forgiveness to those around you that you desire from them? Let's be realistic in our communities. And then are you committed to the mindset of Jesus about surrender and sacrifice and the good of others? And so I encourage you is once again to move toward each other and move toward Jesus. There's many opportunities happening right now. Again, Molly. Hi, Molly. There's Molly. Molly will be hanging out out back. She'll help you get connected. Or maybe there's another way. Bible study, book study, your own thing, whatever it may be. But to move toward each other. Not going to know everyone, but connect with people. It's going to be the health of us moving into this next, this coming year, having the mindset of Jesus and the mindset of Christ towards others. Let's pray. Gracious God, Lord, thank you um, for your word. Lord, thanks for um, and just questions and comments that, Jesus said long ago that we can use to just provoke some uncomfortableness and expose some things that we've just lived within. Thank you that Jesus considers all of us who do the Father's will, who know him as Lord and Savior, um, to be brothers and sisters. That the Father God has extended an invitation to salvation. If there's anyone here today who's not yet said yes to following Jesus, does not confess sin that in this moment, I just take this time to say something to God like this. Is, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I can't do it on my own. Jesus, I need you. Lord, I receive your forgiveness. Lord, just cleanse me from all the sin. And Lord, I desire to know you Lord, I desire to receive your love, this unfailing love that comes from you. God, to walk and to live in that love. And so today, I give you thanks for forgiveness and thank you for your love. And for each one of us here, God, for whatever reason that we've been living in isolation or away from others, uh, Jesus, I pray today that you just break down barriers and walls and Lord, bring about healing. And God, that we would take a baby step toward deeper community of knowing each other and knowing you. God, I pray for um, just a freshness of relationships and growth within this church. Lord, tonight is <clears throat> these rooted communities kick off. And God, some others kick off a little bit later. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that, um, God, you do a mighty work in each of these groups, these communities. Lord, I give you thanks for all who have put effort into it. 
Lord Jesus, I just look forward to hearing the stories that you're going to do some great things. So, Lord, thanks for this year. Thanks for this church. Uh, thanks for the church of Jesus Christ. God, for the gift of Jesus. So, Lord, we love you. God, may we be together. God, with you and with others. We pray this in your strong and powerful name. Amen. Thank you.